Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Joy Gruitz. Good morning, church. You know, it's hard to believe that we are now in the 11th message of our series, Summer on the Mount. And you know, it's such a good sermon because Jesus is teaching us some very important spiritual truths that we need to grasp, that we need to embrace into our lives as Christ followers. And so this morning, before we dive into today's verses from his sermon, I wanna tell you a little bit about a PBS show called Finding Your Roots. Finding Your Roots is a show that's hosted by a professor named Henry Louis Gates Jr. And he, along with a genealogist team, they researched the ancestry of famous celebrities, some not well-known and some very well-known. And one thing that becomes apparent when you watch these episodes is there always seems to be one person in their past who makes one decision or experiences one historical event in their lives and it changes the trajectory of the whole family line. And I know when I look back at my family history, I saw how true that was. Because if it had not been for the Great Depression, I most likely would not have been raised here in Michigan, but probably on a farm in Canada as a farmer's daughter. You see, for my dad was the oldest son of eight children, and my grandfather had a beautiful farm that backed up to the Thames River in Ontario, Canada. And my dad loved to work with my grandfather, and until he was 16 years of age, he thought that's what he would do for the rest of his life. But because of the Great Depression, my grandfather wasn't able to keep up with the mortgage payments, and so he lost this beautiful farm. And so my dad's dream of farming was turned to dust. But after my dad then, as years passed and served in World War II, he came back from overseas. By this time, he'd married my mom. They decided that instead of staying in Canada where jobs were scarce, that they would come to the States. And so they came to the Detroit area, and my dad eventually became a sales agent for a Standard Oil company. And he truly felt blessed by that job, but he never lost that love for farming. And so when Joe and I were building our first home, the backyard was a large backyard and it was very flat. And at one time it had been part of a farm. And so my dad came to us one day and said, could I plant a garden in your backyard? Of course we said yes. And so my dad was the master farmer and I was his apprentice. And so we cleared some soil in the back and we tilled it and we planted the seeds. And then things began to grow. But there was a problem that I had. You see, as things began to grow from those seeds, those little green shoots that came up from the ground, there were also other green shoots that came up from the ground. And I had a little problem deciding what was a weed and what was a good shoot coming up from that seed. Some of you are nodding your head. You understand that. But you see, my dad knew And so every day or every other day you come by and he would make sure those weeds were pulled because he knew that if left to take root, they would take over our garden. And then we wouldn't have this good and bountiful crop. And and as I began to think about that, 
I thought how true that is in this sermon when Jesus addresses the issue of spiritual weeds. He specifically talks about those who sow spiritual weeds and he calls them false prophets. And he says that false prophets with their false doctrines hinder a believer from developing a deep and rich relationship with the Lord and producing that good and bountiful fruit from their seeds of faith in Jesus. And so this is what we read in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 15. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus is warning us to be aware that there will be false prophets. And when he says false prophets, he's also speaking of false teachers and preachers, apostles, evangelists, anyone under that umbrella of a spiritual leader. He says, be aware there will be false prophets and to beware of what they preach, teach, and proclaim because their deception will seem harmless, but it will be destructive. And in the early days of the church, the early church leaders, they echoed this same warning. For um, Peter wrote in 2 Peter to the Gentile churches, he says, but there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies. In other words, false teachers, false prophets, nothing new, but he's saying beware. Beware because they cleverly teach destructive heresies. The Apostle Paul says, or the Apostle John says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. Then the Apostle Paul, in his last warning to the church leaders in Ephesus, he said, So guard yourselves and God's people. I know that false teachers, like wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men among your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. You see, like Jesus, Paul is referring to these false leaders as wolves, that they will be received because their words will sound good, they'll seem good, even seem to make sense. And so Paul, recognizing that these are the same tactics that even would be used in the, days, uh, in the days that Jesus was there, that they would continue to be used as the church began to grow. And so Paul says that it's the same manner, if you look at the next scripture, it says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the servant's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You see, when Satan approached Eve, he didn't come to her in a threatening and terrifying way. He beguiled her. He came to her with reasons that sound good and seemed good. And so... This is the same that Jesus and Paul and Peter and John, they all said, this is the way that false leaders will come to us. And you see, as the message of Christ began to spread throughout the Gentile world, this threat of false prophets and teachers distorting the good news of salvation was truly real. 
and one of the dominant threats to the early church came from Jews, Jews who were believers, Jews that believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They called them Judaizers. They believed indeed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they also couldn't let go of the 613 Jewish laws that had become part of their lifestyle and their culture. And there was one law that they really couldn't let go of, and that was the law of physical circumcision. And because they so were so ingrained with that culture that they had grown up with, because they couldn't let go of those Jewish laws, they went around to wherever, wherever a church had been planted by Paul, and they would go trying to correct his teaching. Listen to what we read in Acts 15. It says, some men from Judea arrived in Antioch and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so when Paul saw what these Judaizers were teaching, he vehemently and passionately disagreed and said, no, salvation is by grace. It is not by works, but it is by grace. And so this is what he wrote to his mentee, Titus. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. But you see, it wasn't just these Judaizers who were planting seeds of false doctrine, but there were also teaching, there were those teaching what eventually became known in the second century, a movement called Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word to know or knowledge. And look what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. You see, the main tenet of Gnosticism was that you were to seek a special knowledge, a special knowledge and enlightenment that would make you a special believer, a spiritual one. And you would pursue this knowledge because that was the key to salvation, seeking knowledge from a higher spiritual realm. You see, they believed that the world was divided into two realms. There was the realm of the spirit, and that was considered holy, purely good. But then there was also the natural world, and it was deemed evil. And so this meant that the spirit of a person was wholly good, but the body of a person was wholly evil. So that also meant that you could do whatever you wanted with the body. You could do the most evil act as long as you pursued spiritual enlightenment because what was done in the body would be considered immaterial. Perhaps this is why Paul was compelled to write to the believers in Colossae, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. There was yet another false doctrine that had its roots in the first century. It was called docetism. And docetism was a belief that denied the incarnation of Jesus. You see, they reasoned that since God was wholly good, that there was no way that he could enter a human body that would be considered wholly evil. That one who was wholly good could not be human because the body in its physicality is evil. And so we see this warning from the Apostle John. Many deceivers have gone out into the world and they deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. 
There was yet another ism. This one is called asceticism. And they believe that the, because the body is physically evil, then you had to, you had to um, hurt the body. There had to be self-abasement, self-abuse. And look what we read in Colossians. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. They had yet another false doctrine to contend with. These have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. In other words, Paul saying self-abuse has no power in dealing with the evil desires of our broken, sinful nature. Now, in addition to all of these doctrines, these seeds of false doctrine being sown in the first century, the early church also had to contend with the dominant pagan culture, a culture of immorality, a culture of idolatry. So Jude wrote this, for certain people have crept in on notice, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, into immorality, and they deny our only master and Lord. You know, you read these scriptures and you research what these early church leaders had to contend with, with all of the seeds of false doctrine that were being sown. And you see how they were constantly reaffirming, reaffirming and encouraging believers to stand firm in their faith, to not be swayed from the message of God's saving and transforming grace. And these warnings that we read in the New Testament understand they still have relevance for us today. Because false prophets, whether there's preachers or teachers, whether they are an evangelist or an apostle, they still exist today. They still exist sowing seeds of distorted doctrines that threaten the spiritual growth of believers today. Perhaps even more so, perhaps it's even a greater threat today because there are so many ways and so many voices that we can tune into. I was reading an article in Christianity Today, and it says that there are 380,000 churches in America. And you know they're not all teaching the same doctrines. And Wikipedia says that there are 2,400 Christian radio stations, 100 full power TV stations. And then if you add to that the websites, the podcasts, the YouTube videos, there are a lot of voices that we can tune into. So how do we, how do we know what is true from what is false? Well, the Bible provides us with some guidance. First of all, the Bible says that you know a true spiritual leader is, is one that embraces the truth that God the Son became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus is God the Son incarnate. He entered humanity and dwelt among us and on that cross he redeemed mankind. Look what John wrote in 1 John 4. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, for there are many false prophets in the world and this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body. 
that person has the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Another scripture we looked at earlier, I'll say it again, it's in 2 John 1, 7. John wrote, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world and they deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Why is the incarnation of Jesus such a key and pivotal foundational truth to our faith? Because the only way for mankind to be redeemed was for one who is sinless to become sin for us and to pay the penalty of death on our behalf. You see, even though men like Moses and David and Abraham were great men, men of great faith, they still were sinners. You see, they could only die for their own sin. They couldn't die for anyone else's sin. But God the Son who is holy, He is the one who entered humanity, being born of a virgin, but here's the key, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So that when he was born, he was born with a holy nature. And unlike Adam and Eve, for over 33 years, he made the choice not to sin. He made the choice to be obedient. You see, because he was sinless, there was no penalty of death that he had to pay for himself so that on the cross, God the Father could pour into him our sin. And when he became our sin, then he paid that penalty of death for all. Jesus had to be divine so that he could be born holy. But he had to be human because that's the only way God could die for us. So anyone who proclaims a prophetic word or teaches a doctrine that denies the incarnation of Christ, they are denying the redemptive work of Jesus and therefore what they preach and what they proclaim and what they say is something we should not follow. Another way to identify who is true and who is false is provided by Jesus himself in this sermon. In verse 17, he says, Remember, it started out by saying, beware of false prophets. Then it goes to this verse. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruits, so you can identify people by their actions. You see, a true prophet, preacher, or teacher will bear the fruit of authentic faith. They will not only preach, teach, and proclaim these kingdom principles that Jesus presents in this Sermon on the Mount, but they will live them. They will live them in their everyday lives. You see, a true prophet, preacher, and teacher Their desire is to become more like Jesus in their everyday lives. To live like Jesus, love like Jesus, forgive like Jesus, be obedient like Jesus. You see, true spiritual leaders strive to become more like Jesus and to bear the fruit of his character. The fruit of his Holy Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. 
But I want to be very, very clear. This does not mean that in order to be a true spiritual leader, you have attained spiritual perfection. Do not look for spiritual perfection in a true spiritual leader. But what we should see are people committed to that maturing process and that they are bearing fruit of mature faith. You see, the purpose of what they preach, teach, and minister, their ministry should never be about self-promotion. It should never be about them. It should always be about serving and honoring and glorifying the Lord. So whether a spiritual leader is that prophet, preacher, or teacher, their actions must match their words, and their words must match the word of God. Which brings us now to the third, the third gift of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us, God's gift of his words, words that were written down by humans but inspired by the Holy Spirit. When we look at 2 Timothy, it says, that all scripture is inspired by God. In another translation, it says that the Bible was breathed out. It was God breathed. That meant that God so moved in a dynamic way on the minds and hearts of these men that they were compelled to write what Jesus and what God was speaking to them in their hearts. He gave, they gave form to his inspiration, form to gave words and, and truths and the stories. It was written by the inspiration. They gave form to it. You see, what makes the Bible so unique is that it was written by over 40 different men living over a period of 15 century, 1,500 years. And they came from such diverse backgrounds. Some were prophets, priests, tax collectors, shepherds, physician, king a diversity of writers writing over this vast 1,500 years, writing in a variety of genre. There's narrative and poetry and prose discourse. There's, there's prophecies and letters and dialogue. Yet in all of this diversity, there is this consistent message. And Paul cites this consistent message when he wrote in 2 Timothy 3. He says, Timothy, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from the child, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. You see, the consistent message and the most important thread throughout the Word woven together is the declaration of the good news of salvation that is ours in Jesus, that God has rescued us through the redemptive work of the incarnated Christ. And in Acts 17, we read about a time where Paul goes to a city, a Gentile city called Berea. And the first place he goes to is to a synagogue. It seems that in any one of these Gentile cities, there's always a group of expat Jews who still have this synagogue in the Gentile city where they would worship the Lord. And it seems the first place that Paul liked to go to to spread the good news of Jesus was to those Jews. And so he goes into the synagogue and he preaches about Jesus. And in Acts 17, I want you to pay attention to what these Berean Jews did when they heard the good news about Jesus. It says in verse 11, they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Do you see what they did? When they began to hear a new doctrine, 
they examined the scriptures. And for them, that would have been the Old Testament. They looked back at the prophecies and they looked to see if what was said in the word matched to what Paul was preaching. And it says that when they heard it and it matched what the word said, they embraced it and they became believers. You see, the scriptures were a plumb line of truth for them. You know, the plumb line, hopefully you see it behind us, is a construction tool that consists of a string or a cord and at the end of it is a metal piece of weight of some sort. And when suspended, because of the Earth's gravity, it will hang perfectly straight and it will provide you a measure of what is straight. So Paul reminds Timothy that the scriptures were first and foremost given to be a plumb line to reveal to us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the, but the scriptures are also to be a plumb line of how we are to align our lives. For it says in 2 Timothy 3, to teach us, the scriptures are given to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And you see that the scriptures are to be a plumb line tool for us today. It continues to be that plumb line that tells us the truth that Jesus is our savior. But it is also a plumb line for us today to be that truth teller, that vertical straight for us of how we are to live our lives. And you see, when you know the word of God, then you won't be swayed by every wind of doctrine. You know, Paul wrote this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You know, our own Abdu Murray, in his book, Saving, Saving Truth, which is an excellent book to read, he said, we are living in a culture of confusion because it's a culture that places preferences, what our itching ears want to hear above truth, the truth of God's word, inspired by the one who is truth. This is why we need to know the Bible. We need to read it, not just grab a couple of verses, you know, from a website. We need to read this word. We need to study this word. We need to embrace this word. We need to apply this word to our lives. It needs to be that plumb line of truth for us. Because it says, when the, true, when the scriptures are your plumb line, it says in Ephesians 4.14, we won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. And then there's the fourth way. And this involves the third person of the Holy Spirit. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, he said to his disciples, listen, I am leaving, but I'm not going to leave you without hope and without comfort. I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And he's going to guide you in all things. And when you look at the early church, they relied upon the Holy Spirit to be that plumb line of truth in what they preached and how they lived their lives. 
It says in John 16, 3, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. And the Holy Spirit that guided those early church leaders and those early Christians, the Holy Spirit, he is still a spirit of truth for us today. And we can use him and lean on him to begin to reveal to us, to discern faults and to discern what is truth. You see, the Holy Spirit, he can put within you that check, kind of that check within you. You know, those times when you hear something and it just doesn't feel right. Listen, listen to the voice of that Holy Spirit. When it doesn't seem right, it doesn't quite feel right, then go to the plumb line of the scriptures. Go to the Bible and search it out. And even as you read and you're still not certain, what does that scripture mean? Then go to one you know, who is a good spiritual leader, who is mature in faith. Go to them for counsel and direction. So how do we keep from being deceived by all of those voices that are in our world today? How do we know that we are listening to someone who is speaking the truth, preaching the truth, proclaiming truth? Number one, hold fast to the truth of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross. Number two, make sure that who you are listening to is bearing the fruit of Christ's character in their lives. Three, what they preach, what they teach, what they proclaim is grounded in the Word of God. And fourth, what they preach, teach, and proclaim is affirmed by the Holy Spirit. You know, in the early days of the church, and then in centuries to follow. People were not literate as they are today, and we didn't have access to Bible and the translations that we have today. And so the early church leaders developed what were called creeds, foundational statements of truth. And one of those is known as the Apostles' Creed. And when you read that creed, it talks about the triunity of God. It declares that He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In this creed, it declares the incarnation and the redemptive work of Jesus, and then key foundational truths that we need to have mature faith. And so I thought a good way to close today would be for all of us to stand and together with great deliberation, with great conviction that we as followers of Christ, that we would declare the truth about our Lord. Are we ready? We're going to say it. We're going to do it loud and with purpose and conviction. Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead.
Ready? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.